Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan Welcome back to the Peruvian Waltz podcast. I'm your host, Peter Galindo. This is the first edition of our Copa America series of podcasts, so we are very excited to be here tonight. Joining me, as always, is Christopher Viscardo. So, Christopher, how are you doing this evening? Doing great, doing great. I'm just enjoying the many, many tournaments that we have on this summer between Copa America, Gold Cup, Women's World Cup, and so forth. It's been a uh, uh, soccer-filled summer, so that's kind of what I'm enjoying. Yes, a festival of football as it usually is, most summers anyways. And also joining us is Diego Montalvan. So, Diego, how are you? I'm doing all right, guys. I'm doing all right. A little sad that, uh, you know, Japan lost today, but I'm doing all right nonetheless. Yes, Diego is currently rubbing it in against Chile uh, and wearing a Japan kit because he is a uh well he's a salty peruvian let's just put it that way um as we i think as we all are while watching that chile game today but we are not here to talk about the chile match we are here to talk about peru's opener against venezuela which ended nil nil in porto alegre let's talk about the general takeaways from this game so diego coming away from that game what did you think and how do you think it played out for peru I thought we started off fine. Then we, then we, uh, you know, as the match progressed, I feel like um, we lacked some intensity, uh, especially in the, in the final third. And I feel like that's become something common uh, recently. Uh, we're missing, we're missing el gol, as we say, right? Because we're getting the passes together, getting some plays, opening, uh, creating chances, but just not being able to finish. I hope that it will not affect against Bolivia. I hope that you know they can get back and understand that this is this is this is to get to the next uh, stage of the Copa America. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Viz, what do you think about the general takeaways from the game, and how do you think it played out for Peru? Well, I think that there's two ways in which one can uh, face a tournament. One is the I have nothing to lose, so I'm just going to leave everything on the pitch, and the other one is. I want to see what I can do so that I can progress as far as possible. And Peru is taking that second route at the moment. Uh, it's a route where you are more careful because you feel like you have more to gain or you don't want to disappoint the fans at home. And losing, you know, is, is not an option. So therefore, we end up with somewhat of that lukewarm uh, style of playing that uh, Diego was mentioning. That was my biggest takeaway. I I don't necessarily think that that's bad, as long as they know when to turn on the heat. You know, I, I, there's a difference between being able to do that selectively and kind of you know manipulating the results and and playing with that, and then just being mediocre. Period. So my my hope really will be that uh, my takeaway is that I, I think that they're doing it selectively, or at least I choose to think that. And I think a lot of that will be proven with the next game. If if things don't go well with Bolivia, then uh, then it's just plain mediocrity. Yeah, for sure. At that point, if you can beat Bolivia, especially given how open they looked against Brazil, I know that Brazil themselves didn't look like Brazil, let's say. But at the end of the day, 
Bolivia is there for the taking, especially with their lack of real attacking threat. So if Peru can't get anything from that game, or at least return to form, then there is a bit of an issue. Sticking with the same theme of the general game takeaways, we did actually get a question about sort of Peru's mentality before the Copa America started compared to now that it's underway. So JC at Mr. Lasarte asked us, with the tie with Venezuela, how do you think the mentality was on the team before Copa America started compared to now? In the first match, Peru, until around the 80th minute, basically played not to lose. So, Diego, what do you think of that overall statement? I think Peru, and this is going based on you know the interviews that I saw from the players, from Gareca, from everyone, I think everyone... And at least I think also we think that we want to better what we've done uh, in the past Copa Americas. So that would mean at least making it to to a semifinal. I, I, that, that's what I believe. Um, obviously, based on uh, the first game, I think that we, again, created the chances. We just need to finish uh, in the final third. After hearing what, what, what Viz just said, I, I want to hope that they were playing selectively, like, like he said. And, and that they're going to go all out right now against Bolivia tomorrow uh, and hope that they go all out and, and get the three points in the best way they can. Yes, and I think overall, too, that there were some positive takeaways, which, Viz, I'm going to direct this to you, because at the end of the day, Peru did generate 17 shots. They outshot Venezuela. That's their highest shot total since, I think, since they beat Chile back in October uh, in Miami. So... That's a positive for sure. They only conceded 11 shots. Most of them were fairly tame. I think Pedro Gaese had a couple nervous moments, which we'll get into later. So you look at the overall statistics, the general statistics, and it is more encouraging. Obviously, the finish wasn't there, as we've talked about. That is still very frustrating. What I will say, though, is they did win the expected goals battle for the first time since that Chile match. They actually generated two expected goals. The finish just wasn't there. Whereas before against Colombia, against Costa Rica and those teams, they weren't even generating any quality chances. Um, So do you think that there was something to build on there? I know we've talked about their, their attacking struggles in terms of scoring, but do you think it's not all the sky is falling and that there is actually something to possibly look forward to as the tournament continues? Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree with you. I think, first of all, I saw there's still some hesitancy and maybe just some some lack of aim in general, you know, of good aim. But there was, you know, we, we did see Cueva taking chances. We did see... Uh, Orejas, as usual, we saw, I, I think, everyone that was in the top half of the field at some point or other had a had, had a clear chance, and even though they knew that it probably wasn't going to go in, they, they took it just just to keep ben- Venezuela on their toes. So that is something that, that is positive, that they're trying, and that they are, on, because, I mean, we're going to talk about VAR later, VAR, but we we could have easily scored a few, uh, you know. I I I think that that is one positive takeaway that I think that we our top half is uh, being strengthened. Not quite. We're not quite there yet, right? But but things are getting better. 
And, and another positive takeaway for me is just the fact that people have are always complaining, and I too have complained of the fact that Gareca, you know, seems to always just play it safe and play the exact same scheme. And he, he actually tried to play differently this time, you know, move the pieces around for better or for, for worse. He moved the pieces around. He moved the players around and he tried different combinations in the field. And, and that means that there is some, some studying of the opponent happening, some, you know, trying to be creative and looking for other solutions, uh, other answers to the same problem. And I think that's also, also positive that in a way, Gareca might have indirectly listened to the fan, to the, to the, listen to the fans and uh, kind of given us what we were asking for, which is just give us some other options. And uh, hopefully those options will be continue to be explored in the next few games and lead to something good. Yes, and a couple of those options did actually work out. And I think a couple of his changes also made a positive impact. Now, one did not, which I'll get to in a moment. But Diego, the Flores substitution coming on for Cueva, that... I think really transformed the attack, especially because in the first half you could see Gadeka was getting quite frustrated at the fact that they weren't pushing up high and, and getting pressure on Venezuela's defenders as well as generating chances. That improved in the second half once Flores came on. And then Paolo, on top of that, he actually was taking shots from distance and was shooting on sight. And I think this really unsettled Venezuela's defense. And it goes back to what I said last week. If you have Paolo on there, the man who led the team in shots during qualifiers, and he's shooting from everywhere, the defense has no idea what's coming and they're on their toes, and you could see this opened up the game a little bit. So would you say that in the second half, there was a pretty dramatic improvement in the final third for Peru? Maybe not just because of that change, but also just in general, the growing confidence that they got as they kept on generating more chances? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I I, I believe uh, second half they created. Uh, if we if we divide up the, I think it was uh, what was it, thirteen or seventeen chances created. I'm not Seven, I'm, seventeen shots. Seventeen, 17 yeah. shots. So I I believe if I read correctly, it was like almost eleven in the second half, which means something right. some something changed, and it, whether it could have been Garica's pep talk at halftime or. Flores coming on. Um, I know Paulo. Paulo created a lot of chances. He was actually. Uh, I was looking at stats. He's on third in Copa America for chances created behind Miguel Almirón and Coutinho, and and that just. I mean, yeah, second half was a lot better. But again, we just need to finish. Absolutely. Now, Viz, I'll talk to you about the one substitution that I think puzzled a lot of Peruvian fans. It certainly puzzled me. That was when Andy Polo came on for Yoshimar Yotun, who up until that point looked incredible. Andy Polo comes on, and I do have to give credit to Gervi Robles, who's in our group chat and will probably come on to make his podcast debut for this Copa America. He mentioned that Andy Polo while is a very tactically disciplined player and is a fine player, you don't bring him on if you're chasing a goal. You bring him on if you're trying to defend a lead. And considering you had Carrillo on the bench and you were generating the chances you were generating, not to mention the fact that Luisa Vincula, whenever he got forward, was profiting greatly, but there was no one there to play with him. Did this substitution puzzle you? And do you think it maybe hindered Peru's chances to maybe snatch a win in the end? Yeah, I did. I, I, I think it's similar situation. To, to me, 
this is kind of comparable to the to the World Cup last summer, in which I personally would would have thought that I personally thought that Paolo should have started that, that game against Denmark, for example, instead of Farfan. You know, and at the time we said, well, it's because he's trying to save him for later on in the tournament and so forth. But I think that whole first game scare, first game psychology has really worked a little bit of a number on Gareca. At the press conference, they asked him twice on why it is that he decided to send Carrillo instead of, or Polo instead of Carrillo. And, and he, the first time says, because I, because I wanted to, you know, and that was it. And then the second time, when they pressed him on them a little bit more, he said, well, because I wanted to. And then he kind of said, oh, well, you know, Carrillo is just not match fit yet. He hasn't he hasn't played in like two months and uh, he didn't really do well in the other game. So but but honestly, I think it's because uh, he probably has a little um, little little flashback of Denmark. And the fact that because we lost that game, that that killed our chances at the World Cup. Right. Uh, obviously, Copa America is a lot more forgiving than the the World Cup is in that in the regard that you have the two two best uh, third place uh, finishers move on to the next round. But I I I would agree with uh, Kirby's anal- analysis that that the, it's true. So basically, the the tie at that point for Gareca in his mind, consciously or or, or unconsciously, was a lead. So therefore, worth defending. When in reality, considering that Venezuela finishes the game with 10, you know, considering that Advincula is having a a, gr- a great day offensively, maybe not defensively, but at least offensively, then yeah, Carrillo should have should have come on. And and I it, I mean it was it was obvious. I mean the commentators on TV said it. I was thinking it. Everybody on our chat was saying it. It's what? Well, why didn't Carrillo get a chance? I, I think that. You know, just Gareca's train of thought really explains that. And he's not perfect, so therefore, let's just hope that uh, he learns from this just like he learned from from that game against Denmark. For sure. And the fact that they did get a point, I think, is crucial because keep in mind as well, the margin for error is a bit thicker at Copa America because you can finish in third and get to the next round. Now, that could mean a tougher draw for you. It may not. We don't know, right? I mean, Qatar gets a point against Paraguay. I don't think many people might have expected that. So surprises will happen. Now, in terms of the last major storyline from the game, VAR. We've seen it at Copa America quite a lot, actually. Now, in the end, at least in Peru's case, those calls were correct when you look at it. But the implementation of it has left something to be desired. Now, obviously, the Peruvian players were asked about this, and they gave differing answers at the end of the day. So, Diego, overall, what do you think about the basically VAR's influence in this game and then what the players had to say afterwards. Yeah, let me I'll tell you I'll tell you my story of what happened to me when Canchita scored in the seventh minute. I celebrated it. I was go everything. And then all of a sudden I saw it go to bar and I felt it just takes away that excitement. It takes away everything. And you just like have to wait pretty much to see oh is the goal validated, is it not? And that's the part that I don't like, I guess the just the, the, the atmosphere, it ruins the atmosphere for a minute or two. 
that's for me. That's what I think. I I know at the end of the day, the calls were right. And yeah, sure, one day maybe it will go, uh, it will help us. I just hate the fact that it takes so long and and the nitpicking throughout Copa America, how many times it's been used for, for little things. That's what I don't like. Um, as far as what the players have said, I think, I think, yeah, they're right. I mean, at the end of the day, this is the technology that's here now and we just got to figure out a way to they FIFA and, and, and the organizations have to figure out a way to make it work. Yeah, for sure. They do. Um, so Viz, what do you think about yeah. VAR? So um, I think I'm going to go back to a, a very, very old example. Okay. But, uh, there was a time in football in which you were allowed to handle the ball, the ball with your hands 120 years ago, right. you know, but, but there was a time when you were allowed to do that. Right. And I can only imagine that generation, right. You know, in the fields of England, getting mad at the fact that it's like, well, why can't I touch the ball once in a while? Like it's not that big of a deal, you know? And now even, even this year with the new set of rules to, to football that the board made, you know, we've even made, handling the ball even more strict than it was just a year ago, per se. You know, the rules regarding you touching the ball with your hands are even more strict now, where, the, where you know, even just the, the slightest touch in the box is a penalty no matter what. I don't care what your intentions were. And so what I'm trying to say with all of this is that it, there is some adjusting, and it's even a generational change, right? And and for us, it's going to be tough. For us, it's going to be tough. Mike. My hope can be. My hope is that in the future things will be more consistent, because I feel like the, the the VAR system. There's refs that obviously rely on it way too much. I think Diego Aro was completely wrong. It, it was terrible. The game against uh, the the Paraguay Qatar game. It, that was the, bad. The use of VAR was bad. Uh, and then there's other refs that are obviously a little bit better at it. And, and so, I think that it takes a kind of a different style of play. It takes a different mentality and it's probably going to come with time. You know, I mean, we can talk about these kind of big changes in soccer, whether it was handling the, the ball with your hands or whether it was the use of the yellow and the red card, or when we increase the amount of points from two to three for a win, it's, you know, kind of big changes to the game that have taken kind of a generational time period to get used to. So I, at least all I, I can hope for now is that, there will be a little bit more consistency and less nitpickiness on how it is that the VAR is used. Uh, because I think that with the human eye, that first goal by Conchita Gonzalez would have just been declared a goal and that's it. It's unfortunate. But then again, you have the other situation where you have Rui Diaz gives, gives us the, the greatest victory you know, against Brazil that we've had in 30 years with his hand, no VAR. And we can also admit that that wasn't fair, but it is, you know, it's now in, it's in the books, you know, you can't change it. So it's kind of my feelings a little both ways, I guess. Yeah. That's what makes it so tough because I've always been very pro VAR, but the more I see it used so poorly, not just by Conmebol, which I think we all could have seen this coming. Oh my God, Conmebol referees getting a resource. They're totally not going to use this right. Uh, it's the same thing in MLS. It's just bizarre when they decide to use it and when they don't decide to use it. For example, the Canchita review, they could have taken a look at it when Farinas was down, injured, and saved so much time, right? That's the time to use it. And they obviously waited, and then finally they looked at it, and four minutes later we had a decision, which was bizarre. Um, 
but we'll obviously keep seeing it used. We'll probably end up ranting about this at some point later on in the tournament, I am sure. But for now, I guess it just is what it is, and Peru has to move on to this Bolivia game. So let's take a look now at general positions on the pitch and how we thought they did. We did have a few questions about the attack, so we'll stick to that subject. One of them was actually on Andre Carrillo, uh, and Robbie C. at BNCEO asked us, how low is Carrillo on the depth chart? What does Polo bring that Carrillo doesn't? Uh, so, Viz, what do you think about Carrillo's current situation in the national team? Uh, I think Curvy hit it straight on. I, I think that uh, Carrillo is obviously, I, I think Carrillo is a lot faster, and I think that uh, speed was something that we could have used against Venezuela, especially when they were 10 down. We could have caught him off guard, and Carrillo could have provided that. I think Apollo, you could argue, is a little bit more defensive than Carrillo, and if you truly believe that Carrillo is not match fit yet, he, he's, he's still a great super sub. I, I, I don't doubt, well, the good thing is that Carrillo came on. The problem was how long it took Gareca to realize that, you know, we needed Carrillo, literally the last five minutes of the game. So I think to have him on the, on the bench, if, if, if Gareca insists on not having him on from the get-go is fine. Just Consider him as one of the tools that you have, you know, at your ready at your disposal, and uh, just kind of making those calls on when it is that he should come on. He should have come on in that Venezuela game, you know, uh, maybe from the half, maybe even twenty minutes before the end of the game, especially when he saw the red card. But when Gareca saw that Venezuela got the red card, that is. But uh, that that's kind of what to me to me what what Carrillo has to offer. I would agree with that too. I think even as a super sub, if you want to throw him on for 25, 30 minutes, I think you can do a job, especially against tired legs and against Bolivia as well, who you would assume are going to defend quite a bit in that game. He could be very useful in that situation as well. Um, Diego, I'll ask you a bit of a follow-up to that and wrap it up with a similar question. Do you think Carrillo starts against Bolivia and will we see Flores start the next match, given what he was able to do in the second half against Venezuela. Oh, man, I think it depends on the system that we play. This is going to get into something else where if, you know, if we stay with the 4-3-3, I think Anchita starts. If we play with the 4-2-3-1, I would, I, I think, I think, I think Flores and Carrillo start. I would like to see Flores start again, because I think given what he was able to do, and especially if you have concerns about Cueva having a concussion, which is one of the reasons why I think he looked very off in that first half, then you probably err on the side of caution and go with Flores, because you will need Cueva later on in the tournament, assuming you get through to the next round and maybe make a run in the knockout stage. So to finish off Robbie's questions, he had one last one, and I'll ask you this one, Diego, as well. Could a front two with Rui Diaz behind Paolo work out for Peru? Yes, I've been, I, I, I'm actually a big uh, fan of of this. I would like to see it used at some point with Guerrero and Rui Diaz. Obviously, I know not from the start, but the one time that we did see them play together against, was it Costa Rica? I think it opened up chances for, for, for Rui Diaz and, and it it helped Guerrero out too, just because Rui Diaz is not the same forward that Guerrero is. Guerrero can hold onto the ball, knows when to turn. Rui Diaz is more of a layoff, and he'll just shoot. 
Yeah, and it worked out very well, as you said. I know Christopher is an advocate for four four two. So again, if you're in need of a goal uh, against whoever it happens to be, that could be a potential tweak. And this is why I think Adeka has liked experimenting with different systems a little bit because it gives them that option in these situations. So we'll move on now to another question about the attack. And Nick Forsman at MattMur247 asked, is Flores to blame for that miss or was it just a great save by Farinas? So Viz, what do you think about that? And to those who don't remember, uh, the second VAR incident where Flores somehow had that saved on the line by Farinas, which I was blown away by. But Viz, was that Flores' fault or was that just Farinas' brilliance? Honestly, I man, Farinas is good. He's good. I mean, they, they gave Paolo the man of the match, but I, if they had given it to Farinas, I would have been like, you know what, that, that's completely fine. That's completely fine. I, I think that, uh, I think the answer is a little bit of both, really. You know, I, I don't think the answer is, not everything in life is black and white. And, and so therefore, let, let's just kind of leave it kind of in the middle. Flores kind of has fault in that, but at the same time, honestly, Farinas was just on point, on point that day, and there's nothing we can discuss in that. Yeah, and to be honest, I don't think anybody in Flores' position would have ever expected Farinas to pull off what he did. I mean, it's low, it's hard, it's going into the net, all of a sudden he just gets his body in front of it, and you're just asking yourself, how is this even possible? Uh, It was just kind of a day for Peru. So, one last question about the attack, also from Nick Forsman, Asking about Paolo. So, Diego, I'll go to you on this one. He says he wanted to see more from Paolo and asked, where did his form go? Now, personally, I actually think he had a very good game and made a pretty decent difference to that attack. Was it his best game? Definitely not. But I think he he was quite solid. Well, what do you think? I agree with you. I think I think he played a very solid game. If by the question of form, is he talking about his form at Inter? It's not the, he's not the same player for Inter that he is for Peru. And Inter, he, he's not asked to drop back as much or, or create as anything where he just has to more wait or wait inside the box, more of a predator, whereas Peru, he, he, he drops back a little bit, creates, holds onto the ball, and that's why he had the most chances created for Peru. Yeah, 100%, simply put. I mean, and keep in mind as well, Cueva comes off, he's not himself, so that puts more onus on Paolo to to create and he did a decent job of it. Maybe with someone fully fit and clicking from the start, maybe he's not asked to do that as much. So let's move from the attack to the midfield. Um, we mentioned briefly Joshua Mario Tun because obviously he was taken off around minute 67 in that game. He looked excellent. Renato Tapia for me looked very, very good. Um, he was everywhere. That guy now, Abel Gamara, who's a listener of the show, a loyal listener of the show, tweeted at me basically saying, the one thing I don't like about Tapia is that sometimes he can be very slow with his passing or buildup, holds onto the ball too long, and that can cause a few issues because you kind of let the opposition get back into their shape, or he turns over the ball, you know, wins a free kick, whatever it happens to be. Um, but I thought he was very solid. He was everywhere. And Canchita especially, he really impressed me. I was so upset that the goal wasn't called, not just because Peru didn't score, but because Canchita really deserved that, given what he's been able to do. So, Viz, what did you make of the midfield overall? And and if you want to break down those three players, you may, but 
personally speaking, I think that trio was was excellent on the day. No, I, I I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Honestly, Conchita was just like inspired. Honestly, I think he, if he continues to play like that, like he's he's going to become a serious contender for the starting eleven. I think you could say that he already is. Really, uh, like you said, I I think if anything, if if I was to have a little bit of a complaint, is that that obviously Tapia and Yotun set the pace for the attack, and we could have been faster. We just could have been faster. I feel like Tapia, he was everywhere, which was both a blessing and a curse because he was everywhere. At some points, it's like, are you going to let go of the ball? What, what are we going to do with this? And so I think making faster decisions, even if it ends up in a, in a turnover, which you can then do a turnover in the turnover, you know, I mean, just kind of creating more more chances and, and kind of keeping up a fast pace uh, would have been better for Peru. I think that if if I had a complaint about them, which I think their their just uh, skills on the ball were were pretty good overall, would be just to kind of try to speed it up a little bit, and just you know keep it on that one two one two, uh, and that would have really helped Peru in their midfield uh, especially. Yeah, and I thought Canchita was probably the best at that. I think Yotun mm-hmm. eventually grew into the game and started doing more of that, but then once he came off. Tapia was obviously given more of the responsibility to build from the back, and that became a bit of an issue. So, Diego, what do you think about the midfield's performance from that game? Yeah, no, I really, I really like the the midfield's performance. The one thing I, um, I would kind of disagree with Bizon was would be on the the blessing and the curse of Tapia. The reason why I feel this is because I think Tapia was everywhere and. I think it's also because of the role that he played in a, in that in that system in a four three three. I feel like he was more of the destroyer, so he had to be everywhere. Yes, he could have let go of the ball quicker, released it to Yotung and Canchita uh, a bit quicker, but all in all, I think he did uh, a decent job in covering them and, and covering for the defense. Um, Canchita, what can we say? He had a great game. I think it was ninety five percent of his pass passes uh, were. Um, we're on point and like you said Yotun grew into the game more I would personally like to see this system used again sort of talked about it there so we'll move on to that aspect the defense a um, couple different ways we can go with this we'll talk about the positive first because Viz your boy Carlos Sembrano he finished the 90 minutes did not get a single card it's a miracle, and I tweeted this. I was I was floored that this didn't happen. Um, first half was a little bit shaky, must be said. He was turned around a couple times. Um, went into a couple challenges pretty aggressively, went in late. Might have resulted in, in a booking. It's possible, but I think after that, he really settled down. And we did get a question about Sambrano from Nick Forsman asking uh, our thoughts on Sambrano's performance and adding that he personally was glad that he started and was very satisfied with the way that he played. So would you concur with Nick on Sambrano? Yeah, I, he was probably the second best player after Canchita in Peru's uh, 11. Uh, I think he started slow, like you were saying. I think it took him a second to kind of get get into it. Uh, I personally really appreciated the offensive side of things. I, I think he, he made a difference and he kind of stepped up when he had to. And I think that that gives it, you know, his, his game a plus. Obviously, we need a very solid defense, but if your defense can also, you know, support you uh, when you're going the other direction, 
uh, I, I think that it's also uh, something something very valuable. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm hearing you, Peter, say, like, I was just surprised. I thought you were, you guys were the ones that were confident about him. You guys were the ones that were saying, oh, no, we're to- we should totally give him a chance. I was very surprised. But I got to say that, uh, you know, he's he's calmed down my fears a little bit. And, uh, yeah, and I, I think I'd like to give him another chance at Bolivia, you know, and, and see what he can do. And if he can continue to improve that very important partnership that needs to happen between center backs with, with Abram or with Santa Maria, whatever it is that, you know, Gareca decides to play with, uh, with Bolivia. Right. Uh, Diego, your general thoughts on Zambrano's performance. And then as well, we'll add in Luis Abram because I thought he looked quite comfortable next to him too. Both of them, especially in possession, mm-hmm. I thought were very, very smooth. Man, I thought I thought I thought Sombrano did great. Like you both said, I think yeah, he, they started off a little shaky, grew into the game. I have to agree with his. I loved the way that he came out of the back playing, giving giving those some passes into into between the lines. I was like, okay, um, <laughs> and uh, I I really enjoyed the partnership between him and Abram. I felt like after the shaky patch that they had, there was pretty good communication between both of them. And going into Abraham, man, that tackle that he put on put on Solomon Rondon, oh. he through, oh, what a tackle! I think I, I would like to, I would really like to see both of them start again against uh, Bolivia. And just just to add on to Sambano, I think if he keeps this up, he's back. Yes, for sure. I, I don't think you can make two ways about it, especially if he does this consistently. Um, we can probably start alleviating some of the fears we had about him. Because I thought that he, for the most part, was quite composed in this game. And given how physical Venezuela was during the match, I think that that says a lot. So we'll move on to the fullbacks. A bit of a different story for for both of them, I, I feel. Because Miguel Trauco was seeing more of the action in the final third. And that it was Abincula to me who was almost making more things happen. And in the end... Peru ended up leaning more towards the left as opposed to the right, and I think that made things a little bit too predictable at times, especially in the first half. But what do you make of the fullback's performance in the game? Viz, I'll go to you on that one. I think I really appreciated Vincula's efforts. I think that, unfortunately, with Carrillo Carrillo on the field, it would have been a little bit better. Uh, I think his his efforts would have gone... would have found a resolution. You know, I, I feel like a lot of times he was he was pushing forward, and unfortunately he wasn't very connecting well with anyone else, or he was at a different pace than everyone else. I appreciate his efforts. Uh, at the same time, because he was playing so much offensively and, and kind of running that line, uh, I, I feel like there was a moments where there was holes where she, he should have been defensively. And, and I think that's a little bit of an issue. And and it's just that the you could say the team was a little offsided with the lack of Carrillo or with the lack of a, of a of a right side a right wing that was a, a little bit more powerful you know a little little bit more potent I think that you could say Farfan is somewhat to blame on that I think that Farfan plays much better uh, behind Paolo Farfan is not used to just being your your soldier you know back and forth and back and forth I think Farfan feels a lot more comfortable. Playing, playing around, but anyways, I, I, I'm, I'm going away from the topic. Talking about Trauco, I, I still feel like it's a shaky performance from Trauco. Yeah, agree. But at the same time, at the same time, we're seeing some of that partnership come back with Paolo, 
you know, between Yotun and Paolo and Trauco and Paolo. And I think if those connections get get strengthened, I think we will see Trauco kind of regain his confidence a little bit too. So I, I think we've been complaining about Trauco for a while now, but two years almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then again, it still seems like the best of what we got so far. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you there. Very good point on Advincula and how it left a lot of space in behind because if you look at just the average positioning from that Peru game, Advincula was very, very high. And that meant Sambrano had so much ground to cover as well as Tapia because Tapia stepped in at times and, and helped out. But that could have also had a lot to do with the fact that Carrillo wasn't there providing extra width. Maybe Advincula is able to track back a bit more often or faster if he has a proper winger. Because as you said, Viz, Parfan in his prime, sure, put him on the wing. That's where he did his best work. But nowadays, better to put him centrally because it looks like that's where he's most comfortable because that's where he plays for his club. That's where he plays a lot for Peru. Better to stick with him there. So, Diego, what did you think of both of the fullbacks from the Venezuela match? I got to agree with you guys and just re- reiterate, uh, you know, what you guys said. And I think I think Peru played more to the left side just because I think they noticed that Advincula and Farfan couldn't associate the way that Advincula and Carrillo do. I think Trauco still, if you if we have to say one, is, is still our weakest link. And, and just speaking on the space that they left, I think, like you said, it speaks more on Zambrano and Tapia being able to do that coverage. For sure. I was almost not going to bring this up, but I feel like we maybe want to touch on this a little bit. Pedro Gaese, from the looks of it, looked very, very shaky. I don't know what it was. Maybe I was just over, maybe I was overly harsh. I don't know. But Viz, do you think that there were maybe a couple of issues with Gaese, specifically claiming crosses and and, and just in general knowing when to come out and when not to? Did, did you see the same thing or do you think it was just, ah, it's fine, it's one game? No, I, I think if you complain, c- compare him to the other goalie on the pitch, then it makes him look bad. <laughs> but, of course, uh, yes. But, yeah. <laughs> no, I thought he's all right. I, I thought he was all right. I'm, I don't have a lot of complaints. Then again, it's not like uh, Venezuela did crazy amounts of damage to Peru either. You know, I think that I, I personally think that that uh, Galeza does best in those games in which he he's like absolutely needed. You know, I mean, Argentina La Bombonera, for Argentina example. La Bombonera, exactly. You're getting nothing but everybody shooting at you, and he all of a sudden becomes Spider-Man, right? And so, when the intensity is kind of low, you know, he's not required as much, and maybe that kind of uh, makes him feel a little bit more shaky. But uh, no, I mean, honestly, not not a lot of complaints from from Galese there. Okay, fair enough. Maybe something to monitor if it happens again, but my Bolivia is going to be pretty low intensity as well. If he struggles against Brazil, then there might be some issues because that could lead to some very dangerous circumstances after that one. Uh, before we wrap up the show, let's grade Ricardo Gareca's performance as a whole in this game based on the starting 11, the substitutions he made, the way the team played, and just his overall approach to the game. So... I would conservatively give him like a 6.5. I think most of the 11 was solid enough. The way they were playing, I think, really shut down Venezuela's attack, especially. I thought that the the, the choice to go with Zambrano was, was very crucial. I just had issues with the balance of the team and the buildup. The fact that Abincula was leaving so much space in behind, which could have had to do with Farfan being on the wing, as we talked about. And then 
the substitution of, of Polo, which I, I know Viz did make a good point that maybe in Gadeka's mind that is like a lead to him. But when you're facing 10 men and you have a chance to sneak out a win, I feel like you got to go for it in that situation, especially. But that's what I think. So 6.5 for me from Gadeka from that game. Viz, what would you give Gadeka from that match? Yeah, I think I would. Uh, I'd just round it up. I'd probably give him seven. I, I like the fact that he's trying new things. I like the fact that he's trying to keep it fresh, that he's giving players a chance, even when I have been very distrusting of things like Sembrano. We, we, I think there was, what, an episode two or three weeks ago where we're, the, the answer to all the questions was trust Gareca, and so mm-hmm. far he's proven that he can be trusted. So it wasn't a perfect game. He He makes mistakes, but none of the mistakes were defeating really you know none of them were no grave mistakes uh and so i'm i'm gonna let him be a human and give him give him chances and you know seven seven is good enough for me diego what did you what would what grade would you give gadeka from that match i would have to agree with both of you in between a 6.5 mm-hmm. and seven mm-hmm. i personally like i personally mm-hmm. really like the formation um i like the change up of the formation i liked uh the fact that you found a sp- a place where where Canchita would fit in, and it worked. I think, yeah, like everyone said, the sub with Polo. I think it should have been Carrillo. And I think the one the one spot that I did not like, I guess you would say, is Farfang playing as a winger that we mentioned earlier. I'm not sure why Carrillo didn't start. Maybe he wasn't just match ready or whatever. But if if we go with that same system, I wouldn't mind seeing. All the same starting eleven except for Carrillo over Farfan. I would agree with that too. But anyways, that'll do it for us. We'll be back after the Bolivia match to recap that and then quickly preview Brazil as well because that will be a big match too. But until then, you can follow me, Peter Galindo, on Twitter at GalindoPW and follow the show at Peru Waltz. And you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and now Spotify. So you got even more options for that whole grain goodness for your ears these days. So Viz, <laughs> where can the people follow you on Twitter? Okay, also, last week we talked about the, the Bicentenario, Copa Bicentenario, like crazy, and then there was a chance that it wasn't going to happen, right? right? Well, luckily, it's back on. So the, the games are on. When you're not watching Copa America or all the other, like, four tournaments going on, watch some Copa Bicentenario. You'll, you'll like it. Uh, but people can find me at V-I-Z underscore F-C. Have to get your domestic lower league proving football plug in there, and I love it. So, Diego, where can the people follow you on Twitter? People can follow me at D Montalban. Excellent, excellent. And we will see you guys in a few days. But until then, this is the Peruvian Waltz team, and we are signing off. <laughs> Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.